Okay, I've started. So, I've started recording. <laughs> Things are getting serious. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Somatic. We're excited to have you here as we delve into a really engaging topic this episode, embodied feminism in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Sam recently spoke over Skype to feminist activist and scholar Helen McBride about some of her work connecting concepts from feminism to her physical activities and everyday movements around the city. At this point, I'm going to hand over to Sam, but stick around at the end of the episode to hear how to connect to more resources on this topic at our website, somaticpodcast.com, as well as some information about Helen's various projects. All right, thanks. I met Helen McBride some five years ago. We were both studying history, uh, getting our master's in history at the University of Wyoming from 2010 to 2012. Um, herself, Helen's master's research concerns specifically the role of women community organizers during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. She's become a wonderful friend since our time in Laramie. It's been, been an honor and a privilege uh, to get to know her these years, to spend time together, to, these Skype conversations the last four years, the chances to hang out when I'm over in Belfast, when she came to visit, I was doing research in England. Um, in 2012, I left Wyoming to join the Physical Cultural Studies program at the University of Maryland, while she moved back to Northern Ireland, where she became involved in some really fascinating, uh, important work. Here's Helen herself introducing what she's been up to these past few years in Belfast. Okay, well, I'm Helen McBride. I'm living in Belfast currently. I'm from the border area between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, but I moved to Belfast for university. And then after a brief stint in the US, I've moved back here. Um, I work in education, but most of my energy is geared towards feminist and queer activism and creativity here in Belfast. And so, my idea behind talking with Helen about her work um, and her experiences in Belfast as part of an episode on this somatic podcast, it wasn't just about wanting to talk with a friend and make an episode while I'm at it. The more I've gotten to know Helen, the more we've gotten to know each other, the more I've had the privilege to learn from her and all of our you know, times we've gotten to hang out and talk. The more she's challenged me, the more she's challenged our friends, and I sure her peers to become more cognizant and aware of the ubiquity of issues of patriarchy misogyny and female oppression all these issues that continue to impact women in contemporary society certainly as helen will talk about in belfast 
In so many of our conversations, we've always come around, and we inevitably come around to talking about the importance of feminist values, and the recent events that make it clear how vital it is to have a strong, always developing movement for a more feminist activist. Helen and her colleagues, friends, and peers in Belfast are already doing this kind of important work, making their personal and everyday political. In this strange era of Trumpism and reactionary populism, we need to keep highlighting women like Helen and her friends and co-activists who are daily making a difference in Belfast through their activities, struggles, and personal politics. She told me a little bit about how she got so intimately, intimately involved in feminism and feminist activism in her work. Well, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, so whenever I first got back to Belfast after my master's, I joined the Belfast Feminist Network, which was quite um, new and small to Belfast, um, which has since I got much, much bigger. And it's generally um, an activist group uh, that work with groups such as Alliance for Choice. They'll do a lot of work um, lobbying our government. They'll also support like any sort of women's issues that come up in Northern Ireland. So, for example, if our politicians say something wildly sexist, they will you know, come out against it. Um, anybody in the network that has an issue, you know, there, there's that's a place where I can get support. Um, it has developed in the last few years, actually, with the Facebook group. So there used to be like a chat Facebook group for anyone that joined the Belfast Feminist Network. But it has since, um, it really just bloomed. So it, it went from like a few hundred members to like over 3,000. Helen told me a little bit about how she got introduced to feminism, the feminist works that kind of influenced her, um, the feminist theories that influenced her, um, and then also the particulars of uh, the context of Belfast growing up as a, a Northern Irish woman um, and living in Belfast and what that means for her sort of embodiment of feminism and feminist activism. Yeah, um, the first time I think I discovered feminism was when a friend of mine gave me a lend of the female eunuch. So it's a Jermaine Greer book. Um, and obviously Jermaine Greer is hugely problematic now with her comments on trans people. But like back then, I'm from quite a rural area. And to have read that really blew my mind. And I think that sat with me and was more of a discussion point. The more I read, the more I, you know, thought about things went to university in Belfast, my undergrad, there was no, I mean, this is before the, it wasn't before the internet, but it was before the internet is what it is now. There was no Twitter, there was no Facebook. And, you know, I didn't have any real avenue of getting out there and getting to know feminism or activism. And then whenever I graduated from my undergrad and done my master's, I took a women and gender studies minor and started to learn more about the theory, learn 
more about the discussion points than the history of feminism and how that, you know, integrated with activism, especially in the US context. And that's where, you know, I, you know, there was Slut Walk and Take Back the Night in Laramie, which I joined in on. And then I was just so pleased whenever I came back to Belfast to discover that there was a Belfast feminist network and these kinds of things were happening that I was able to jump in and, you know, really connect those two sides of the things that, you know, the theory, the academic theory with the practical activist side of things. In a Northern Ireland context, when talking about feminism or like the history of women's rights, a lot of that is played into the troubles or the civil uh, war context of Northern Ireland, where you see in every war area that women's issues are always pushed in the back burner and women are always pushed into this peacemaker role. So... For me, all of the great activists, feminist activists, were never, like if, you know, that I learned about in America or England, they were always working on the premise that they were just fighting for feminism, were fighting for equal rights, whereas a lot of the feminists here were fighting for nationalist or Catholic rights as well. And so whenever you're fighting for several rights... You know, misogyny doesn't go away just because you happen to be fighting for your civil rights or for the, for the right to vote or against gerrymandering. Like, misogyny creeps in everywhere. And you see that feminism or the desire for women to have equality is always pushed to the last thing on the agenda. I think the interesting thing is you have women who can identify that, yes, we're all fighting against civil unrest in Northern Ireland, but that doesn't actually take away the problem that even if the DUP, which is the Democratic Unionist Party, which represents unionists, or Sinn Féin, which is the political party that represents nationalists, both of them, until recently, have been male-dominated political parties and so you know feminism and feminists here could always recognize that we have um during the troubles there was a all-female political group called the women's coalition and the treatment that they received during talks or in political you know atmosphere in northern ireland was disgraceful like they were told to go and make the tea they were booed and mooed off the table you know, they were used as a way to fulfil this peacemaker role. And this wasn't that long ago. Like, this was a few decades ago. They were used to be this peacemaker role so that get the men to talk to each other and then they can do the real work. And that's something that's never really been properly addressed in Northern Ireland.
Quickly after returning to Northern Ireland and uh, moving to Belfast, Helen got involved in grassroots activism, uh, uh, hoping to co-found, along with a friend of hers, uh, a Belfast chapter of Hollaback, um, combat street harassment within the city, um, and getting involved with the Belfast Feminist Network. So I asked Helen about those experiences and, um, and, and asked her to talk about them a little bit. Yeah, well, one of the things about being in the U.S. and being in touch with, like, feminist activism in the U.S. was I had heard about the Hollaback movement, which is an anti-street harassment, like, movement. And it has chapters all around the world, but it's based in New York and started in the U.S. And when I moved back to Belfast, I wanted to open a chapter here, which I did. Um, And when I did that, at the same time... You know, you could see that there were other there were other events and other works of activism, and it was literally just a matter of going along to an event or, um, you know, asking to chat to someone who who was on the Facebook page. You know, could we meet up and chat? And that's really all it was. I think the first time, I think the first event I went to was a Valentine's Day. Uh, it was a Valentine's Day, um, what do you call those synchronised dances in public? Flash mobs. It was a flash mob at City Hall and up at Stormont, which is our government. Um, against, it was in solidarity for violence against women internationally. So, yeah, once I was there, I, got, I talked to people. I started to become more vocal in the Facebook chats. We went to more events. I started, you know, connecting Hollaback with more events in Belfast and had a community there of people and you know things just grow like there isn't a lot of people who are able to commit a lot of time to like in real life activist work and there's so much of it to do that once you start to do a little bit you take on more and more and more well Hollaback is about street harassment. So the way I look at street harassment is that it's something that's always been like a prevalent part of my life and nearly every woman and queer person's lives that I know. And it's on the sexual violence, like if there was a spectrum. I think it starts with street harassment and ends in rape and sexual violence. And it's not like oh, we don't need to worry about street harassment when there's rapes happening. It's all part of the same problem. We need to nip all of these things at the bud. We need to nip it in the bud where it begins. And it's these attitudes where public space isn't for women or once you're a woman or a queer person in a public space, then you're free game for anyone to make a comment or invade your personal space because you put yourself in that position in the first place.
I remember in all of our Skype conversations between uh, Maryland and Belfast how quickly uh, Helen uh, got involved. And at the same time, it seemed like she seemed like she was doing a um, tremendous amount of things all at once. But she was getting involved in the Belfast Feminist Network at the same time as she was um, helping to lead uh, the Belfast chapter of Hollaback. So I asked her more about the Feminist Network. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I don't really know when it started. It started before I got involved with it four or five years ago, maybe even less than that. But no, it's definitely recognised now, and I think it's because we've just been around, we've been showing up, like we've been commenting any time and every time women's rights are, you know, put to the bottom of the list again. You know, the Belfast Feminist Network is there. We're educating people, we're talking about, um, you know, especially things like abortion rights whenever you have things like Savita Halapanavar or the many cases of people that have been prosecuted for trying to get access to abortion. The fact that so many women travel from Ireland and Northern Ireland to England every day where it's, it's I mean... These things haven't got better, but the Belfast Net, the Belfast Feminist Network has been there. And so, yeah, I guess they have gained more momentum. Things aren't changing anytime soon, or not fast enough anyway, but... Yeah, and I think it's important that that momentum isn't lost. Yeah, and I must admit, like, in the last couple of years, um, I've really pulled back from that side of things around the same time as uh, when I gave up Hollaback Belfast because, you know, I had other things going on. But, like, the Belfast Feminist Network has been incredible in always been able to generate commentary, always been able to have really well thought out and really, really well researched and considered reactions to things yeah they they have a core group of members of people that just happen to be able to be fully active at that time and like people are incredibly motivated it's not it's a good avenue for them to be able to speak out because obviously just as you know a normal person I'm outraged and other activists within the Belfast Feminist Network are able to channel that outrage to be able to give voice to it. It is a vibrant, vibrant community that Helen is uh, talking about. This sort of 
flowering of feminism and feminist collaboration, feminist activism within Belfast. But then there's also this uh, creative and sporting, physical, cultural component that's flowering all in tandem and all kind of in these interrelated uh, uh, ways, uh, creatively with the Go Girl Collective sort of uh, artistic expressions of young women, photography and art and music and uh, all these various different things. And then roller derby. Roller derby become incredibly popular, competitive sport, but also um, a space for feminist expression, a feminist space of sport. And Helen talked about this a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's definitely related. It's related in the sense that it's just another great feminist group that's <laughs> came up in Northern Ireland. Um, just another one, yeah. Uh, so Go Girl was founded by um, Kira McMullen, who's my partner, and Chelene Murphy. Um, so Kira is a photographer, a music photographer, and... Uh, Chilling is um, in a few bands. She's a very talented musician. And they both chatted about how the music scene in Northern Ireland was very male-dominated. That they both kind of knew other women in the scene, but not really well enough. And then the more they got chatting to other women, they were like, no, let's, let's band together. Let's make this a thing. And so, yeah, it's really, it's been brilliant. It's really just become a collective more than an organised activist group. It's a collective where creative women across Northern Ireland can, one, come together and collaborate, two, like share resources or, um, you know, if one of them has an opportunity, you know, they can put it into the other go-girls or... Um, other women that they know try to create opportunities for each other um, it's a good solidarity thing it's also really branched out from that initial music scene it's now got like art and writers and comic book artists and yeah it's um it's been really really it's been really really inspiring for me and I think like some of the last um few things that I've noticed because I'm 30 this year and a lot of these creatives are like art students or you know like younger than that or you know they've just graduated and they're just so full of energy and they're just willing to like put on these DIY like exhibitions that are really popular or put together documentaries with no money at all and really just fuel all this amazing art that is not necessarily feminist but not necessarily feminist in subject, but feminist driven. Like they're all very upfront about their feminism and their collaboration with other women. And that seems to fuel and fuel their ambition and fuel their creativity. And it's amazing. Like I sit on the board as a treasure um, because I'm not um, a musician myself, but, um, you know, I can hold the money, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's really, really inspiring. And it's also, it's kicked off a whole bunch of things. I think we see online that, you know, feminism is, feminist activism has become more and more prevalent in the UK. And obviously that's coming across to Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And then that's just going to come out in other areas like music or art, which which have always been a bit more radical or left-leaning. I mean, they're always going to take up that mantle, so... 
I mean, I find it very hard to separate roller derby from that kind of left-leaning feminism in the sense that it's women-led, it's women-focused. Yes, there is men's roller derby and I'm part of a league that's co-ed and the men in it are great, but it is a sport that is predominantly female, predominantly not predominantly queer, but definitely extremely queer friendly and queer led. It's for example, there was an incident with um men's roller derby where two male players started a fight on the track and it was completely condemned by the whole of the roller derby community. There is no room for that kind of like toxic violence or, you know, that idea of violence being equaling masculine, equaling being good at the sport, being the best. It's more controlled because at the end of the day, you're on eight wheels and you have to have complete control of your own body and your own space and be aware of the fact that there are other people around you and anyone can get seriously hurt. And it's about channeling aggression and passion in a way that's at least tries to be as safe as possible without creating further, you know, further avenues for potential hurt. I think a key point that Helen made throughout our discussions um, and talk was that this collapsing of the uh, political with the physical, and particularly within her context and living within Belfast, that um, what she did and how she embodied feminism within everyday life and how her friends embodied this sort of feminist expression within everyday life was political even if this everyday expression. And she talked a little bit about this, and I think this is a perfect way of sort of being the sort of last segment uh, of our episode here. You know, I don't know if you're going to want to use this, but <laughs> I, I, I was out for dinner. Kira, my partner, and I were out for dinner on a few drinks with a couple of friends of ours who are also a couple. And um, me and Kira like had a little kiss at something, and um, our friend, one of our friends, said to me, "Oh, get a room, you know, PDA." And I retorted that I think my PDA is a political act because it's not always safe for me to do so, and if I do publicly display my affection for my significant other who happens to be a member of the same sex 
you know, sometimes people in the room are going to be offended or shocked or horrified or think it's not suitable for children. You know, all of that is going to be... I think it's a political act and I think it goes down to what Panty Bliss says is, you know, being a queer person, you're always checking yourself that you're not too gay to invite unwarranted commentary. And it's the same thing as being a woman, like walking down the street, like, do you have anything that shows any skin? Because then maybe you'll get catcalled, even though I've got catcalled when I've been big coat, big scarf, big hat, you can barely see any skin. I don't know why it's... But it's not about that. It's not about how you carry yourself. But yeah, I think I I think everything that I do is in some way politically motivated by the fact that I'm a queer woman in a place that doesn't have same-sex marriage or access to abortion and yeah, Northern Ireland doesn't, we don't even have a government right now, never mind, <laughs> never mind access to abortion or healthcare. Um, so, like, for example, we, um, our first minister, our previous first minister, Arlene Foster, so it's actually an interesting time where the two leading politicians in Northern Ireland are women. It's Michelle O'Neill from Sinn Féin and Arlene Foster from the Democratic Unionist Party. So there was a big scandal, and not get into it too much, um, to do with an energy scheme. And Arlene Foster, um, at the heart of the scandal, tried to deflect a lot of this attention by saying that it was all directed at her because of misogyny. And while I absolutely do not ever disagree with the fact that she as a woman in politics and as a woman will always be subject to a lot of misogyny. Are you allowed to swear in this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah she she will get a ridiculous amount of misogyny. Um so that was a few months ago when everyone was like, no well everyone a lot of people were like, yes, you are you're definitely suffering at the hands of misogyny being a woman in politics that absolutely sucks but that's maybe a separate fact to the thing that you were running this scheme that happened to give your cronies a lot of money um a lot, a lot of corruption charges but then so that was a few months ago and then a couple of days ago she Harleen Foster was having an interview and she was asked if she had one word to describe Michelle O'Neill, what would it be? And Michelle O'Neill is her counterpart in Sinn Féin. And she used the word blonde. That was her commentary. So obviously when she meant blonde, she meant I'm the real serious politician. She's a blonde, made up, dumb. You know, she's she's fluff and I'm the real stuff. And then And then of course everyone's like... Arlene, that's misogyny. That's that's a sexist remark. Remember whenever you were talking about sexism in politics, that's sexism in politics. And then she comes out and like, what? No, I meant it as a compliment. And that's the same exact thing as if I'm walking down the street and someone shouts something at me and I'm like, what? And they're like, what? I'd, I'd love it if a woman called me sexy on the street I'm like no well you you wouldn't until that's never gonna fucking happen but 
or or if like some of her comedian makes a really shit sexist joke or a rape joke, it's like, what? It's comedy. It's free speech. It's like, yeah, but it's not funny and it's sexist. <laughs> like it's just it's not good and it's kind of like if if Arlene had gotten a great reception from that or like oh look at Arlene she's the real stuff and Michelle's the fluff instead of everyone going that was a ridiculously sexist remark Arlene she wouldn't have come out and said oh no that was just a joke I was just joking it's like there wasn't a joke Arlene it was a a really rubbish political move (laughs) so yeah as a woman in Northern Ireland that's the kind of thing that I have to put up with um, from our politicians we have, you know, a lot of, we have a lot of spaces and a lot of politicians that still think that I'm going to hell or I'm disgusting or that Ian Paisley's Save Ulster from Sodomy campaign really should have won you know, all of that is still something that's not changing. We had in the South, in the Republic of Ireland, the um, same-sex marriage referendum. They have the Repeal the Eighth campaign going on, which, if you do you know much about the Repeal the Eighth campaign? So it's basically the Eighth Amendment to the Irish Constitution outlawed abortion. And so the next, after after the queer community you know, campaigned for the same-sex marriage referendum, that it caused, there was all of these activists and people that were like, holy shit, we can actually make change to the Irish constitution that has the Roman Catholic Church at the heart of it. We can make changes to this. And so the Repeal the Eighth campaign, it's it's huge. It's getting crazy momentum. You have politicians, journalists, uh, academics, artists, drama, Everything, everybody is coming out for repeal the eighth. They had the Tories bringing in same-sex marriage in England, Scotland, and Wales. Like the the Tories brought in same-sex marriage, so you have most of the UK having access to same-sex marriage, most of the UK having access to free, safe, and legal abortion. You have the Republic of Ireland, which has now got same-sex marriage and hopefully on its way to having access to abortion. And you have Northern Ireland, which is in this quasi-twilight zone area where both parties, both main parties are pledging allegiance to either side, but neither are coming through with either policies. You know, like Sinn Féin do talk about being the party of equality and all of that, and that's great, but I mean... We'll see. Okay, and that's it for another episode of Somatic. Uh, first off, we just want to extend another huge thank you uh, to Helen for taking the time to make the show with us. Um, really, uh, this 
this episode was based on her work um, and we're just happy to be a platform to broadcast some of the great uh, work that's being done by herself and other feminist uh, activists and scholars in Belfast today. Um, If you want to find out more information about this topic, you can head to our website at somaticpodcast.com where there is a blog post to accompany the episode. Um, You can also hear more from Helen if you head over and listen to her podcast. It's called Oatcast and you can find that at soundcloud.com forward slash Oatcast, O-A-T-C-A-S-T. We'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes and again up on the blog post. Um, The next episode we have coming up looks at uh, the integration of physical activity spaces uh, in the suburbanization process over time. Um, So we hope you come back to listen to that and hopefully uh, we'll have some more exciting shows coming out uh, throughout the rest of this summer as well. Um, So we just want to say thank you for listening and this is somatic.